<clears throat> Happy Sabbath, church. Happy Sabbath. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I said this last time, but I forgot how comfortable these steps are during the children's story. Anyways, uh, it is good to be home. Uh, are you thankful this morning? Yeah. There's a lot to be thankful for. Um, I'm thankful for the California sun. Wow. You know? I mean, we get Colorado sun, but you're like 6,000 feet closer to it, and so it's just, uh, anyways. <laughs> there's something about the Central Valley and uh, the mild weather here. There's something about the warmth of loving family. Amen. And it's good to see you guys. It really is. Um, I'm thankful for my family, thankful for their, privilege, or their ability to, to travel 19 hours in a car with us together. Um, yeah, the reason why Harold didn't think Debbie was here is because uh, that was the original, pl- well, it's not like she planned to not be here, but um, there, there's actually a really big event in Castle Rock, Colorado, which is where we live right now. We, we live, yes, there is land east of the Rockies. And, um, anyway, so the church that we, that we helped start earlier this year, um, we live in a town about uh, maybe 50, 60,000, but there's no Adventist church until as of last April. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, so we, we're excited. Uh, we're about 40 or so consistently on a Sabbath morning. Um, about one out of three members probably engage in a small group. Uh, lots of volunteers still kind of working through things and stuff. And so, yeah, we're excited. God is doing great things. Um, had the privilege of, of baptizing a 20-something-year-old and also his wife and I got to do their wedding in the same day, which is really, really cool. Um, so God is, God is working in people's lives. And the reason why Debbie was not planning to be here this morning is because um, this Sabbath happens to be like this really big community event where there's a huge outreach um, that the Castle Rock Church that we uh, are trying to get involved in. And so right now it's all lay-driven and um, they're working it out. And um, okay, so the real reason is I actually booked the plane ticket for the wrong day. Debbie was supposed to fly out tonight, but I actually booked it for tomorrow night which would have been bad for the wedding. And was, so she came out with us. Praise the Lord. That would have been a hard drive. Oh, that would have been a hard drive. <laughs> so I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be here with my family. I'm thankful to be here with my family. And I'm thankful for who the Lord is. Um, God is good. God is good. Yeah, yeah, he is. And when we were singing our songs, thank you, Ryan, for leading us out. Uh, I was telling him, I was, I was feeling like I was listening to the radio. What a blessing to hear someone else singing in church. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, when you're 40 or so, it's, it's kind of, anyways, it's tough with a smaller group. But God is good. Anyways, but yeah, as I was just uh, worshiping with you all today, just realizing that when we follow Jesus, there's no turning back. Um, when we follow Jesus, there may be temptations to turn back. There may be accusations from the enemy to think that we have no right to keep going forward. Um, But I tell you, when we surrender all and we follow Jesus, there's no need to turn back. There's no need to turn back. Uh, This morning, I am, um, again, just privileged to, man, just walk these steps. This is kind of fun. (laughs) We, We meet in a hospital lobby, which I get to preach from about, anyway, so, so this is nice. I'll just... Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> uh, this morning, the message that I feel like God wants us to, to talk about that today is called Running with Endurance. Running with Endurance. Um, in September, I had the privilege of running my first half marathon. Um, yeah, it's a lot harder to do at 6,200 feet than it is at, I don't know what Modesto is, but anyways. Um, <clears throat> uh, praise the Lord, I made it to the finish line. And, um, you know, there, there's this truism that's kind of, it's, it's shared here and there, that life is a marathon, not a sprint. Have you heard that before? Life is a marathon, not a sprint. In other words, when it comes to life, the goal is not speed. The priority is not swiftness. The priority is stamina. And when it comes to spiritual life, I think we all have a need for spiritual endurance. You know what I'm talking about? A need to be able to stick it out, not just to cross the finish line, but to, you know, when the Bible talks about endurance, it uses this word that talks about persevering under burden. It talks about persevering, getting across the finish line, even when you're under great strain and struggle. And I don't know if you've ever experienced those times where your endurance, spiritually, has been challenged, has been put to the test. 
but today I want to talk about running spiritually with endurance. And I don't know if you, you know, in your reading of Scripture, if you ever come to, to portions of Scripture that just really stand out to you as having this, just this huge theme or, or great topic. Um, I, I heard it sh- shared with me recently that the Bible has, it's almost like you're opening a medicine cabinet. You know, you need your daily vitamin for joy, you go to Philippians, you know. You need, you need a daily dose of gratitude, go to the Psalms. You need this, you need that. You go to here, go to there. And there's, there's a particular, when, when I'm feeling the need for endurance, there's a particular book that I reach for. And that's the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Hebrews, it's in the New Testament. It's one of those books that you kind of get lost in the shuffle with. But today, we're going to just do a brief study of the book of Hebrews in terms of how, how is it that God gives us spiritual endurance. So go ahead and start trying to find it. It's in the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, so we're going to the book of Hebrews. It's right before James. It's right after the T's, you know, uh, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. We're going to go to Hebrews, and we're going to spend most of our time here this morning. But before we even begin to read, let's just pray together one more time. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to know you is not just some idea, not just some force that exists way out there, but as our Father. You know all of our needs even before we ask them, and you know that we need to hear from you. You know the things that we need to hear from you. You know the the reasons why our, our ears are dull or need to be resensitized, and so we just give you permission to do what only you can do and speak to us through your word. God, we have this book, um, ink on paper, we have it on our devices, but more than just having the word, we want to hear the word. Would you please send us your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth? And as we read, as we listen, may we hear the voice of the living God speaking to each and every one of us. Thank you for this opportunity to study together. And thanks in advance for sharing and hearing, or speaking exactly what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, will the family say, amen. All right. Going to the Hebrews. Has anybody found it? All right. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. This is fun. All right. (laughs) Hebrews. Hebrews. You know, we're not going to do a lot to just kind of dig into this, but the reality is that When you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll find different things that kind of just mention here and there, sprinkled throughout. You guys need to keep on going. You get the sense that the people that, whoever, you know, as whoever is hearing the book of Hebrews, as Paul is writing this letter, he feels the need to just kind of encourage them to keep going towards the finish line. Just one, one quick example, one quick example. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. And just, just fair warning, we're not going to go in any sort of sequence here from page to page, but we're all going to stick in the book of Hebrews, maybe. All right. Hebrews chapter 6, and I think it's verse, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, 11, I'm reading from the New King James Bible, and it says this, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until where? Until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The goal of the book of Hebrews, as you read it, as you hear it, as you study it, is so that you and I can cross the finish line. I mean, you you take that to whatever application, you know, cosmically, we want to cross that finish line, right? Personally, spiritually, we want to reach our spiritual goals. We want to accomplish that which God has called us to. But that's not going to happen unless we have some key things, particularly unless we have endurance. You know, the people of the book of Hebrews, you get this idea that they're, they're, they're drifting along, that they're becoming sluggish, like it says, probably for several reasons. In that time, they were experiencing great persecution. So there were external difficulties. It wasn't necessarily a popular thing to be called a Christian, to be called a follower of Jesus. But it wasn't just the external difficulties but I think there were also internal doubts as well. 
Maybe some of you experienced those, those external challenges, but also those internal uh, just kind of constraints and th those difficulties that just kind of spring up. And I guess the simple question today is, before we even dig into this, is how is your, how is my spiritual endurance today? Are there external difficulties? Are there internal doubts? You know, some of us may have been on this journey of, of walking with Jesus for, for many, many moons, so to speak. Some of us may be new to this journey, just, just kind of getting started, just crossing the start line. Uh, some of us, you know, maybe there in the middle, just kind of wondering, figuring things out. Maybe you're on the return. You've been on the journey, you've left the journey, and you're back again. You know, whatever the case might be, wherever you are on the spectrum, each of us is either going to face pressures or is facing pressures right now to stop the journey altogether. And whether or not we are prepared is a matter of, of digging into this, this book right here. How then do we run with endurance? How do, I, how do I make sure I cross that finish line and not become sluggish? And so today we're just going to look at three, uh, three simple strategies. Three strategies to building spiritual stamina. Does that sound all right? I bet, actually, uh, yeah, this is, this is in no way exhaustive. I really think that the book of Hebrews could probably give us a list, of, a list of 15, 16 different things. But today we'll just focus on three. And so, first one, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have what? Heard. To the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Paul is giving us a very simple nugget, a very simple imperative. He says, give the more earnest heed to the things you have heard, unless you drift away, or lest you drift away. In other words, first strategy for building spiritual stamina, to make sure you stay on track and don't just drift slowly or fade slowly away, the first thing is to give heed to what you've heard. Give heed to what you've heard. In other words, give heed to the message that you've heard. Give heed to the Word of God itself. Do you know what it means to give heed? Or do you know what it's like when people don't give heed to what you've said? <laughs> Parents, you, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Come put your shoes on. Come put your shoes on. Hello, over here. No, <laughs> come, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. There's a difference between hearing the word and actually following through with it, right? When you know that your word is heeded, it's not just that your child or your friend or your neighbor has heard what you've said. It's when they've actually followed through with what you hope for and expect. When we're talking about giving heed to the word, we're talking about being obedient to it. But the reality is that we can't be obedient to something or maybe I should say this, it is a challenge to be obedient to the word at the first go-around. You know? A lot of times we need repeated immersion, so to speak, in that message, in that truth, in the word of God. It requires being immersed in the word, a continual hearing of the word, so that there is a continual and natural doing of it as well. You know, that's why I think John 8, verse 31, Jesus says to to the, the Jews that are believing, he says in verse 31 of chapter 8, he says, you are my disciples indeed if you continue in my word. Have you heard that before? You are my disciples indeed if you continue in my word. In other words, abide in my word if you stay in it. Jesus knows that the word, just one pass through, it, it doesn't stick the first time around. That's why he says, you're my disciples indeed, for real, genuinely. It's what sets true disciples apart from false ones, when you stay in the word. I think that's why, you know, Jesus, there's a time in Luke chapter 24, post-resurrection Jesus, he likes to play hide and seek. I don't know if you knew that. But uh, he, he ends up on this road with two very disappointed disciples who haven't made sense of the missing body of Jesus and the crucifixion of Christ. They haven't made sense of it. It's the road to Emmaus. These two disciples, they're walking along this road. They're, trying, they're kicking rocks. They're trying to figure out how to make sense of their life. What, what, what do we do with this hope that is now dashed? All these kinds of things. And there's this stranger that comes up and starts talking to them. And his name is Jesus, but they don't know it yet. And as Jesus is trying to lift up their hopes, 
to these guys that are about to jump off the journey, do you know what Jesus does? Before he shows them his hands and his side, do you know what he does? He gives them a Bible study. He gives them a Bible study. And beginning from Moses through the prophets, he preaches to them all the things concerning himself. And when they see Jesus in the word, then they see Jesus right by their side. If you're ever struggling in your spiritual journey, kicking rocks, trying to figure out what in the world did God do with that prayer? You know, when you're, when you're trying to figure things out, ask God to take you back to the word. And let him reveal himself in the word. And as he does, he'll reveal himself right by your side. I think that's why Jesus, when he's making disciples, he says, no, 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 we've got to anchor these guys in the word. <laughs> Disappointed disciples, get them back to the word. There's a time in John chapter 6. In John 6, Jesus has this huge multitude of people just following after him, flocking to him. It was right after he had fed the 5,000. And so he goes to the other side of the lake trying to find some quiet, but they go to the other side of the lake too. Again, he's playing hide and seek. And so Jesus, he ends up with all these people and he starts talking to them about what they really should be seeking for. They shouldn't just be seeking for bread. They should be seeking for the living bread, right? He's talking about all these things. And, and there's this point in John 6, verse 66. It says that the people hear this hard saying. And they're like, ugh. And they end up turning away from Jesus. You know, people who had been following, but now turning away. And then Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and says, hey guys, do you want out too? He opens the back door and says, it's right there if you want to go too. Jesus doesn't force us to cross the finish line. I hope you know that. Jesus doesn't force us to cross the finish line, but he invites us and he empowers us. And in John 6, verse 67, Peter turns and says, to whom else would we go? And then he says this, you have the words of life. When you're feeling discouraged and wondering if you should walk out the back door, go back to the word of life. So that's strategy number one. Stay in the word. According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, lest we drift away. See, when we don't stay in the word, there's a drift that happens. It's not that, it's not that we get bumped out of the car. It's that we just slowly lose track of where we ought to go. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. When we, when we let go of the word, we end up letting go of our target. And so when we don't, Stay in the word, we drift. The antidote to drifting is intentionality to stay in the word. Are we following today? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay, so strategy number one, continue in the word or stay in the word or quoting from Hebrews 2 verse 1, give the more earnest heed to the word. All right? Strategy number two, it's in the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. See if you can beat me there. I'm kidding. All right. (laughs) Hebrews 3. Verse 1, what else should we pay attention to? Hebrews 3, verse 1, the Bible says, therefore, okay, another therefore, a conclusion, an imperative is coming right here. It's almost like a left hook following the right hook. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, or in other words, pay attention to what? Amen. The apostle and high priest of our confession, whose name is Christ Jesus. Oh, yes. Okay. So strategy number one is very simple. Pay attention, give heed to the things you've heard. Strategy number two, consider Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That can sound very cliche. That can sound very uh, just like, okay, uh, I've heard that song before, that kind of thing. But but let's take a look. Hebrews 3 verse 1. It says consider, and it says two particular titles for Jesus. Did you notice? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, what is it? Number one, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Very interesting. What was the significance? For this group of people to be hearing this letter in the first century AD, why would they call Jesus the apostle and the high priest? Or why would Paul want to remind them, as you're considering Jesus, consider he's the apostle and high priest. What's that all about? Well, the apostle. If I'm a first century believer and I hear the word apostle, you know who I'm thinking of? Paul, Peter, John, James, all these guys, all these humans. 
that have, maybe you've been great preachers, maybe you've been great influences in my life, maybe you've been great evangelists to bring me around the corner, things like that. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Consider the apostle. Apostle is a missionary, someone who is sent out, a messenger commissioned by someone of great authority. And so Jesus is ultimately the messenger sent from heaven for you and me so that you and I can cross the finish line. He's the apostle. Keep your eyes on him. So whether that preacher goes, whether that spiritual leader is no longer part of your life, fix your eyes on him, he says. He's the apostle. But it's coupled with this other title, keep your eyes or consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. In other words, if the apostle was the one who started you on this journey, if Jesus, through his great sacrifice and his love for you and me, has started you on this journey of faith, guess what? He's also the high priest who makes sure that you finish that journey of faith too. All right? The apostle and the high priest. You know, I think sometimes that title of priest or high priest sometimes gets lost in translation because of our lack of a framework. You know, for those individuals, like, like Sherry was mentioning in the story here, uh, you know, the, the lepers, they had to kind of go to the high priest because they were facilitators of cleansing. They were facilitators of salvation. The priest was a bridge builder, a representative of God to man and also of man to God. And so the high priest, or the priest, really, the, those sanctuary services, all those sacrifices in the sanctuary, those things weren't things those weren't privileges that we would just simply walk up to and grab for ourselves. They were facilitated to us through the ministry of a priest, the ministry of the high priest. In other words, salvation was possible because of the priest. Salvation was possible because of the priest. That's why you flip over to a few chapters later, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. That's why it's such a big deal to these people where where they realize, okay, that the temple services are no longer valid, but but now what? You know, upon whom do we depend in, our, in terms of our salvation? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the what? Of the soul. An anchor is that which keeps it grounded, doesn't allow it to be drifting here and there or tossed to and fro by the winds of life, the storms of life. Okay, what's this anchor of the soul that we have? It's both sure and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil. This is sanctuary language. This is temple language. Verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, you want to know what an anchor for your soul is? To know that there is a risen Savior who's in the world today. And he actually is ministering for you and me beyond the veil in the heavenly temple. He stands there for you and I. This isn't something that that is supposed to be kind of, you know, just for the Jewish mind because they, they knew what priests and temples and sacrifices were all about. No, this is for you and I. This is for you and I to know that we have an anchor for the soul. If I'm following Jesus and I know that Jesus is there, that means I'm following him there. Yeah, that's an anchor for my soul today. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, in the very next chapter, Hebrews 7, verse 25, Paul takes it to just another level when you realize that Jesus is there. It's not just that he exists there, but he's doing something there for you and me. Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, Therefore, Jesus is also able to save to what end? To the uttermost. I mean, that's like reaching, but then go, go gadget reaching. You know, that's, that's just reaching to the very end. He's able to save to the uttermost who? Those who come to God through him. Since, for what reason? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know what Jesus lives for? He lives to pray for you. (laughs) He lives for that. (laughs) I mean, just let that sink in in more, more ways than one. Jesus lives to pray. He lives to pray for me. He lives to pray for you. And because of that, he's able to save to the uttermost. 
Not just partially, not just to get you started, but to get you finished. He's able to save to the uttermost. Now, there are times where we're, I don't know if this has happened to you or if you know that you're following God's will for you right now, but three weeks, three months, three years later, you're wondering, should I really have done that? <laughs> or maybe you've, you know, joined the fellowship of believers and you're, you're realizing that, you know what, this, this is a little bit different than what I expected. <laughs> this is a culture that I'm not quite used to. And you begin to wonder, is this really where God called me? I want to tell you something. Jesus is the apostle who called you, and he's the high priest who will help you finish. I'm thinking right now of a, a friend that I'm just praying for. The, the gentleman that I told you I got to baptize, he brought a co-worker to, to church. And uh, man, just within four or five weeks, he felt like he had found a new family. And uh, we began studying the Bible together. And I tell you, you know, that, oh, it is so refreshing to see someone reading the Bible for the very first time, seeing all the light bulbs turn on. And as we studied, you know, four or five weeks on end, there was, there was a little hiccup in the road, a bump in the road that caused him to kind of spin off a little bit. And I, and I would solicit your prayers for this guy. Um, well, I won't, yeah. Anyways, pray for him. His name is Dave. And um, in my last conversation with him, he wonders, did God really call him to this? Because of a simple bump in the road that led to other bumps in the road, one domino, one simple neglect turned into many other things. I don't know if you've been there, I don't know if you've done that, but if you're ever there, consider Jesus. That he is called the Apostle. He's the one who invited you. Him, the Son of God, sent from heaven above so that you could walk with him. And also that he is the high priest who lives to pray for you to make sure you cross that finish line. Uh, I just want to, you know, just sit my friend down and say, don't you hear this? You know? <laughs> but it's up to us. Consider that. That's a strategy that we need to build into our daily habits to consider that. When we consider that Jesus is our high priest, really, it's a matter of faith. It's, it's, it's an appeal to trust him. It's an appeal to recognize that, okay, I'm not the one that's going to help me cross this finish line. I, the best that I can do is just slow myself down. But the one who gets me across, his name is Jesus. It's, it's an appeal to faith. I think that's why in Hebrews 4, actually, yeah, we're right there. Go ahead. <laughs> Hebrews 4, it's verse 9, 10, and 11. He, he's... Uh, in this chapter, he's talking about the promise of rest. He's talking about, hey, just, just, just relax. There's this rest that God has for you. He's comparing salvation to the experience of rest. And he says in verse 9, there remains, therefore, this is chapter 4, verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Okay. There's a lot of tongue twisting there because there's two hises and hymns and things like that. But notice this, for he, speaking of a believer, who has entered his rest, speaking of God's rest, has himself also ceased or stopped from working his own salvation out. Do you follow that? Hey, 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 if I'm entering into Jesus' rest, that means he's done all the work and he's doing all the work right now. He did everything necessary for my salvation. He's going to do everything necessary for my transformation. This is Jesus. And in verse 11, that's why it says, let us therefore be diligent or try really hard. If there's something you really need to try and flex your muscles about, then this is what you need to try. Be diligent to enter that rest. Work really hard to rest. Some of us are just like, oh, I got to do this. I got to. Well, this is what you do. You rest. Try really hard to rest in the works of Jesus to save you. Amen. In the works of Jesus to save that situation that you are just so downtrodden about. In the works of Jesus to heal that relationship that you think is never going to be healed. In the works of Jesus to do what you cannot do for yourself. 
It's an appeal to faith. To look to Jesus as the apostle and high priest, it's an appeal to faith, to a righteousness that is by faith. I think this is one of the greatest factors for drifting, when we drift into a dependence upon our own works. Friends, that is not sustainable. Did you you hear that? (laughs) When we drift into a dependence upon our own works to fix ourselves, to fix our marriages, to fix our lives, to fix our workplace, to fix our neighbors, to fix our kids, when we depend upon ourselves to do that, that is not sustainable. You and I will putter out like crazy. But, Hebrews 12 verse 1, Hebrews 12 verse 1 just underscores this whole thing about considering Jesus in words that are worth memorizing. Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Therefore, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, the one who started, and the finisher, the one who completes our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Ah, Running with endurance requires that we fix our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews 3, 1, he's the apostle and the high priest. In Hebrews 12, 2, he's the author and the finisher. That requires an intense focus to fix our eyes on Jesus. I would say this also. It, it, it requires an exclusive focus. The word actually there, looking unto Jesus, it's this Greek word, apo oreo. Apo meaning away from, and then oreho, looking. It's a, it's a gaze that's implying that you're looking away. You're not looking at certain things in order to look at this thing. Well, what are you not looking at? Verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. This is about those things that are either unnecessary, you know, those are the weights, or things that are undermining. Those are sins. When we look away from these things, we look to Jesus, we run with endurance. I don't know if you've ever tried running with a 40-pound backpack on. I guess the Navy SEALs do, maybe even 70, I don't know, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's not a recipe for endurance. To take unnecessary things with you. To take things that are going to cause disease in your soul. That is not a recipe for endurance. So simple strategy number one, give heed to the things you've heard. Simple strategy number two, consider Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. All right, last one. You ready? Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Verse 24 and 25. <clears throat> you know, the, the program run sheet that I was given told me that I was supposed to start at 11.33, but never told me when to stop. Here we go. No, Here we go. Um, <laughs> I hear there's a wedding tomorrow. You guys want to stick around? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. We're giving heed to the word. We're giving heed to Jesus. Verse 24 of chapter 10. The Bible says, And let us consider who else? What? Oh, man. But they're so annoying. Oh, man. But they're so bothersome. Oh, man. But they took my pew. What? Oh. Let us consider one another. But I thought I wasn't supposed to look to people. I'm supposed to look to Jesus. Hold on. Verse 24. Let us consider one another for what purpose? In order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, do you see the day approaching? can't wait for that day. 
Yesterday, I drove out to San Jose um, to visit some family because my first cousin, who has three boys, her second child was killed in a car accident. Just driving to get some food with his girlfriend. Senior, I think, junior or senior in high school? Senior in high school, 17 years old. Friends, we don't need to endure that any longer than we have to. Do you see the day approaching? <laughs> Man, when I read about Sutherland Springs, Texas, and seeing the love of many grow cold in this country and around the world, there are signs abounding if you haven't seen them. The day is approaching. And according to this verse, because the day is approaching, we're supposed to do something so much the more. What is it? To consider one another and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let's be honest. The exercise of faith in Jesus is an individual choice, right? The exercise of my faith in Jesus is not dependent upon somebody else. It's an individual thing. But the sustaining of my faith in Jesus apparently is impacted by the people around me. For better or for worse. Let's be real, right? For better or for worse. I was watching a, um, <laughs> a YouTube video on how to transplant a tree. Uh, <laughs> we, praise the Lord, we, we moved into a home uh, in March, and um, there's an empty lot right next to us with this foundation that hasn't been built on. I guess there was a builder that, got, that went bankrupt and, and kind of uh, abandoned the project. But there's apparently a tree building, or a tree growing, like in the middle of this foundation. And we know that the builders who are now working in this subdivision, that they're going to eventually build on that. And so Debbie talked to the, the supervisor there and said, hey, can we take the tree when you start building? <laughs> anyway, so we're trying to figure out how to take a tree out. Anyways, um, so I'm watching this YouTube video. All sorts of things I'm learning. When you, when you transplant a tree, you know, you're, you're cutting off roots, you're putting it in a new environment, you've got to be sensitive to growth and the direction that it's facing the sun and things like that. But one thing is, when you put it in its new environment, you've got to make sure to, uh, to stake it to the ground, like to, to hold some, is that the right terminology? Yeah, 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 to stake it to the ground, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've got a string around the trunk, not too tightly like a noose or anything. You, you get the string around the trunk and you, you've got it staked here, You've got it staked here. You've got it staked there. Because there are prevailing winds, right? That will blow down a tree that hasn't developed roots. Some of us, when we join a church family, we feel like we're being transplanted. Roots cut off. Limbs severed. And now I'm expected to grow in an environment I have no idea who is around me. That's a tough go. You know, for the first 11, 12 months in Colorado, we were, we had no church home. <laughs> you know, we were visiting churches every week, and it was tough. I could see it on my kids. It, it was tough to feel like visitors all the time. When we're in a new environment, we need people to stake us into the ground and to hold us up when we don't have roots of our own yet. This isn't true just at the very beginning of our new experience. This is true throughout. We need one another. We need one another. What does it say in verse 24? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It's a two-way thing. Consider one another. Consider who can encourage me. Yes, I need that encouragement. But also, who can I encourage? It's an outward focus. It's, it's, the, it's the opportunity to be focused not just on yourself, but on someone else. And you think about it, throughout Scripture, spiritual heroes throughout Scripture, they were not spiritual heroes by themselves. Have you thought about that? Moses. Moses. Oh man, he was leading the... No, he had Aaron and her holding up his hands. Daniel. Well, he was alone in the lion's den, but no. He had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Elijah, oh, he stood on the mountaintop all by himself, yeah. But then 40 days later, when he was running from Jezebel, he felt the most ready to jump ship 
when he felt the most alone. If you're wondering if I should keep going, if you're wondering if I should go somewhere else, if you're wondering if I can really cross that finish line, check the things that you've heard. Consider the one who called you, but also look around you. Not just for someone else to help you be strong, but look around you for someone else that you can help be strong too. Because in serving, you end up serving yourself. There's a privilege in that. There's a blessing in that. That's why I think in Acts 2.42, that picture of the early church, you know, it had just added thousands in one day as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2.42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in the doctrines. Okay, so all these things about the word, all these things about the relationship with God, but it says also uh, in, in the breaking of bread and in fellowship. The recipe for endurance involves not just grounding yourself in the word and grounding yourself in a relationship with Jesus, but it involves also grounding yourself in the relationships of those around you. Are we following that today? Does that sound okay? I mean, the, the point, again, is it's the outward focus. I remember when I was running that half marathon. Um, oh, man, I started slowing down after about mile seven. <laughs> uh, it was actually after my bathroom break. Anyways, it, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of slowed me down a little bit, but... What I realized is that if I just kind of kept my, my eyes on this person, on that person, I could tell when I was slowing down. I could tell when I was kind of drifting back. And so eventually, at about mile seven to mile eight, there was this guy, I don't know his name, but I was running with him. We'll call him Blue Shirt Guy, all right? I was, I was running with Blue Shirt Guy. Eventually, Blue Shirt Guy kind of trails behind me. I'm thinking, oh man, now it's Pink Shirt Girl. Okay. <laughs> so I keep running, I keep running, but... I, you know, mile 10 or so, blue shirt guy comes back, and the, the road narrows a little bit. He, he actually stepped a little bit in my path, and I kind of had to, to jump a little bit. He, he apologized. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, it's all good, man. I'm glad you're back. You're my pacer, I told him. And he said, oh, I was about to say that about you. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we're running the race, even if we have no idea what their names are, the fact that you're running with someone else, the fact that you're on the course, the fact that you are present is giving strength to someone else, whether or not you know it. Whether or not you know it. You're sharing life. You're sharing the journey. But in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another in order, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. It points out the reality that uh, apparently this was happening in that day. People were jumping ship, or at least forsaking the gathering. And you know, some, some might say, oh, maybe they just didn't like the, the music, or maybe they stopped liking the food, or whatever. No, 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 no. I'm thinking, okay, context of first century AD, they're probably getting flack for hanging out with those guys. Okay? It was hard for them to associate with believers in the early generations of Christianity. As is the manner of some, it may have been the result of, of negligence, but more likely it was the result of persecution. It was hard to get together. To assemble themselves together cost something for them, right? It was hard. And, and the reality is that it may not cost anything for us to get together in terms of our standing in society or, or, or uh, our personal safety but I would say that it still costs something to extend yourself in relationship. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? It, for some of us who are introverted, even for those of us who are extroverted, it requires effort to be social. Yeah. It requires effort to scoot over a little bit. It requires effort to find a small group because that's not in my calendar. It requires effort to call someone up and say, hey, I just had a burden to pray for you. Is there anything that you want me to pray about? It requires effort. Let's give it that. But give the effort because it's worth it. Amen. Consider one another. They had it much harder. We can put forth the effort to share life. That's something that I tell, uh, I, I told the, the couple that we baptized uh, a few months ago. I said, hey, you, you had your eyes on the, the prize of baptism. 
Now what are your eyes on? What are the goals that you're working towards? We talked about the, the goals of abiding in Jesus. We talked about the goals of, of branching out into different ministries. We talked about also the goals of connecting. ABC, these are the ABCs that we we're talking about. Connecting with at least three to seven people that you can consider good friends in the church. Do you have those friends? If you don't have those friends, give the effort to make those friends. Give the effort to be that friend. Be a stake for someone else. You have no idea what kinds of winds they're struggling against. Be the friend. All right, so three simple strategies. Give heed to the things you've heard. Give heed to the word. Consider Jesus and consider one another. As you're thinking through these things, these strategies for building stamina, spiritual stamina in your life, what are the, what, what's the one that you feel the most pressing need for? I mean, obviously, I think the, the best idea is to, to incorporate all of these things into our life, but for now, what's that bite size that you feel that the Holy Spirit needed to impress upon your heart today? That, oh, man, I need to consider the Word some more. I need to immerse myself in the Word. I need to make an intentional plan to actually daily feed on the word and not just depend on someone else feeding me the word. I need to give myself time to give heed to the word. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's uh, considering Jesus. Maybe you've had the habit of, of just kind of waiting for someone else to carry you along or to, to lift you up. And uh, Maybe you've kind of been disappointed by what so-and-so has done or how, how they hurt your feelings or whatever that might be. Consider Jesus. He called you on this journey, and he's the one that's going to equip you to complete the journey. Consider Jesus. And I would say, if that's, if that's your pressing need right now, to just consider Jesus, my practical suggestion would be simply to proclaim the gospel to yourself every day. I mean, that's kind of part and parcel with getting into the word, but specifically, educate yourself about the gospel every day. Educate yourself about what the apostle has done to call you to this faith and what the high priest is doing now to make sure that you sustain your faith. Educate yourself about the gospel today. I think that's why uh, Ellen White once wrote, we would do well to give a thoughtful hour to the life of Christ. Every day. Especially the closing scenes. Especially the closing scenes. Give yourself time. Maybe you need a, a very specific suggestion. Read Isaiah 53 for the next two weeks every day. Isaiah 53. Look to him as the lamb, but also towards the end of the chapter, realize that he is the high priest as well, who ever lives to make intercession for you and me. So maybe it was giving heed to the word. Maybe your, your pressing need is to give heed to Jesus or to consider Jesus. Maybe your pressing need, your most urgent need right now, is to consider someone else around you. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're still in the, the, the identifying faces phase. You haven't even gotten to the names yet, you know? Maybe you're at the point where you're just realizing, you know, I, I've been around for a while. I'm good with my, with my circle of friends here. Well, let me extend a, a personal challenge. How about in the next two, how about before Christmas? Developing one more friend that you feel like, I should give a Christmas card to this person. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, one more friend that you feel like, man, this is someone that, that is of value to me in my life because they strengthen me, but it's also someone I want to be of value to in their life and give them strength in their journey. How does that happen? What does that friendship kind of look like? Well, one, it requires time. Yeah, like we said, it's going to take effort. It requires hearing their story and maybe even sharing your own story. It, it, it requires gauging their courage seeing how things are going, and even revealing how things are going in your spiritual journey. Give yourself the effort to have positive spiritual impact in at least one other person before Christmas. So what is it for you? Giving heed to the word, considering Jesus, or considering one another? Before we pray today, I want to actually give you a chance to, to say this out loud to somebody. You're feeling impressed. Like, yeah, okay. Of those three, that's the strategy I want to implement right now. Giving heed to the word, considering Jesus, considering one another. 
Would you just turn to somebody to your right or to your left and just say, hey, this is it for me. This is it for me. All right, go ahead. I'll give you 45 seconds. If you're not sitting next to somebody, turn around or reach forward, <laughs> okay? What is it for you? Giving heed to the word, considering Jesus, considering one another. I'll give you permission to ask names too, if you'd like. Exchange numbers. This is my address. There's no potluck today. I'm going to your plane. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is this helpful? I don't know what your spiritual endurance was like before today, but I hope and pray that as a result of these things, you feel like you've got some practical things that you can start walking in to encourage your spiritual journey. Friends, I, I want to see all of us across that finish line. <laughs> you, you guys are helping me cross that finish line. I hope you know that. Um, just last week, I was bragging about the Parkwood Church. Got to preach for a, a prayer conference and shared some stories of powerful prayers, answers to prayers from, from right here in this church family. And so I hope you guys know that you're an encouragement to me. Um, actually, last week when I was... Uh, hanging out with that, that brother that I was telling you that I'm just very burdened by. Um, I got a text from, from one of you and um, just shared in that text an answer to prayer that really inspired me to say, no, I can keep praying for this guy too. And so I just want you to know, you guys are helping me cross the finish line. You're blue shirt guy. <laughs> no. Hey, let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to walk this journey together and to know that we're not alone. <clears throat> God, I, I lift up each of my brothers and sisters here, each of my family. And I ask, Father, that in the situations in which they feel most prone to, to be sluggish, in the situations in which they feel the greatest draw away from the journey, I pray that you would give them endurance. Jesus, this is what you live for. Man, to hear the sounds of the heavenly high priest praying for his children to cross the finish line. God, our simple prayer is that those prayers would be answered. Lord, I pray for spiritual commitments that are new, that you would mature them. And, and multiply them. God, I pray for marriages that are struggling, and I ask that you would give them endurance and victory. Lord, I pray for children who are far, maybe close, but far. And I ask God, bring them across the finish line. Thank you, Lord. You are faithful. You're the author and the finisher. So what you've started in us, we just give you the green light today. Keep finishing it. Keep finishing it. Don't let us get in the way. Don't let us get in each other's way. <laughs> Help us to keep pacing each other across the finish line. We pray these things in the saving and powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.